welcome to the Men in Tights podcast. Hope you're all having a lovely weekend. Hopefully you have an even better weekend. It is Memorial Day weekend. Don't forget to subscribe to the Men in Tights podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Radio Public, Breaker, or YouTube. And please follow me on Twitter at IamFositude for all po- podcast information, future podcast information, and just to have fun with me on Twitter. On today's episode, we will be talking about quite a few things, because this is another shooting the shit episode, though I'm probably not using that term properly, but you know how it goes. I talk about stuff that's going on on wrestling, whatever's going on in Hollywood, particularly with regard to DC and Marvel movies, and this time, I actually did a little differently than I normally record these, because I actually recorded these in individual segments throughout the week, so that my thoughts on whatever I'm talking about will be fresh and genuine, and hopefully come off as even more entertaining. Um, like, you know, like, once it happens, record my thoughts on that. So, yeah, felt like it would be better that way. Um, plus, the audio might seem a little off on some segments, so. Um, but I hope you all enjoy it anyway. Alright, that's enough rambling. Let's get started. Alright, Money in the Bank just concluded a little over an hour ago, and just finished watching also the WWE 24 Becky Lynch, but that's not what this segment is all about. It is about what happened on the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, the 10th annual Money in the Bank pay-per-view. And overall, before I get into what I thought of the matches themselves, I'm going to say overall, the pay-per-view was meh. It was meh, in my opinion. Uh, Could have been much, much better, especially coming off of the the heels of WrestleMania 34. Uh, I mean, it wasn't compl- a completely terrible pay-per-view, but it's not one that I'm going to find myself watching over and over again on the network. Um, but, you know, enough of that. Into what what happened on the actual pay-per-view itself. The, we had the pre-show matchup, which was Daniel Bryan and Rowan versus The Usos. It was actually a non-title match, which, uh, for my predictions podcast... I said that it was uh, a title match. It was not. It was a non-title match, which, at the, which then just made me think, what was the point of even having the damn match? Uh, it was a pretty good match. Went about just about 10 minutes-ish. Uh, and the Usos won, which, I mean, like I said, since it wasn't for the titles, you know, I don't really care that much. But you know, even Corey Graves was talking about during the commentary that since they defeated Daniel Bryan and, and Rowan, does that put them in contention for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships, even though they are a Raw Tag Team. Which, again, that's what everyone is trying to figure out with this wild card rule that they, that they decided to just throw in at the last minute. It's, ugh, whatever. But then the main pay-per-view started, and we kicked it off with the Women's Money in the Bank ladder match, which was a lot shorter than the previous Women's Money in the Bank ladder matches, but it was still a pretty exciting match. It had some spots that I did not expect to see with some of these women. Uh, like, Ember Moon uh, did her her Eclipse move, or I think it's called Total Eclipse, whatever. whatever. And from a ladder position outside the ring, into the ring, onto, I believe it was Natalia. Uh, and a few of the women got dumped on top of, of the ladders as well, which looked pretty bad for some of them especially. Um, and Carmella was taken out of the match early for a knee injury, but then popped up at the end of the match as well. And Dana Brooke looked like she was going to, you know, get a fair shot at winning this one. But now my girl Bailey, the one that I, like I said, I wanted her to win, even though I predicted Mandy Rose to win. My girl Bailey climbed that to the top of that ladder and took that briefcase down and became the 
third Miss Money in the Bank, and I was so, so happy. And then we followed up with the United States Championship match, Rey Mysterio versus Samoa Joe. This one went just under two minutes, which I have no idea why. I don't understand what the creative team is trying to do with with Samoa Joe and Rey Mysterio right now. And, uh, and I don't even know how it happened, but Samoa Joe somehow got, got his face bloodied up. I didn't exactly see what was going on, because, you know, not much was really happening during those couple, of, the first minute and a half. Uh, but Rey Mysterio got the pin on Samoa Joe and became the new United States champion. And then Joe decided to fuck Ray up after the match. Dominic was out there trying to celebrate. And for a second, it looked like Dominic was going to jump into the ring. And, you know, we were going to see him try to take Joe down. Um, but that didn't happen. I guess they're saving that for another pay-per-view, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Then after that was the steel cage match, which was just honestly I didn't even really pay much attention to them to, to this match, so I don't really know how I honestly felt about the match. It went about it went 13 minutes, and the ending and where we saw Shane McMahon he won the match, but because Miz held on to Shane's jersey and Shane slipped out of the jersey and landed on his feet on the floor, winning the match, which was Probably the most creative way to win a steel cage match that I've seen. Probably the most creative since JBL won the barbed wire cage match against Big Show in 2005, where Big Show chokeslammed him through the ring, and he crawled out from under the ring, and that's how he won the cage match. This was probably, you know, the second most creative way to win a steel cage match after that. Um, but, you know, I just... The way, since it ended that way, I don't think that we're going to see the end of this particular story, which, I mean... It is what it is. They're gonna WWE's gonna do whatever they want to do, regardless of what the fans want. And then next up, we had the Cruiserweight Championship match: Tony Nese versus Arya Davari. Went just under ten minutes, but it was a fast-paced, exciting match, as we knew it would be. Because again, like I always say, the guys on 205 Live are some of the best athletes WWE has ever had. And this match again delivered on all points that we knew they would. Uh, Tony Nese retained, which, like I said, I'm, either one of them could have would, could win the match and I would be happy because I'm a fan of basically 90% of the 205 roster. Um, then we followed it up with the Smack, with, with both of the Raw and Women's, and SmackDown Women's Championship matches. Oh, easy for me to say. You know, it is 12.15 at night over here while I'm recording this. Uh, um, but yeah, we had Becky Lynch and Lacey Evans was this one was actually a very good match um at some point it did seem like Lacey Evans was actually gonna win but Becky Lynch got Lacey Evans to tap out to the disarm her uh but it was kind of weird though because it started out with it started the way that the ending of the match went about that Lacey Evans had Becky Lynch in a pinfall and the referee did not count at all he didn't even count all one count he just kept circling around them until Becky Lynch got her into disarm her so I don't know what's going on with the referees on this show, because there was a lot of issues with them apparently, but whatever. Uh, but then after Becky won that match, Charlotte came out to, you know, I guess, you know, take advantage of the fact that she had just been, you know, in a pretty grueling match. And this one went a little over six minutes, and uh, just as Becky Lynch was about to get the pinfall, Lacey Evans came out and gave, delivered the woman's right to Becky Lynch, and Charlotte Flair scored the pinfall, becoming nine-time women's champion. 
And huh, I can just imagine how much people on Twitter went apeshit insane over that. Um, so then Charlotte and Lacey, they started teaming up on Becky and, you know, fans started chanting for Bailey and Bailey came right on out to assist Becky and took out Lacey and knocked out Charlotte Flair and she decided to cash in her Money in the Bank contract and climbed that top rope, delivered the elbow drop and became the new SmackDown Women's Champion and... I was very happy about that. I am a big fan of Bailey, and I'm just happy that she's, you know, finally, they're finally doing something with her. Um, and then they interviewed her after the match. And they, they made it a point to mention Sasha Banks a lot. I'm not sure exactly what the intentions were behind that. Just, it was interesting to me. Uh, and then next up, we were going to get Roman Reigns versus Elias. Elias attacked Roman Reigns backstage with his guitar, and then came out and had a little a little concert with an electric guitar for a change, which was actually pretty nice. Um, and actually, Corey Graves even jumped on the Elias bandwagon for the first time in however many years that Elias has been part of NXT and WWE. And then Roman Reigns came out, gave him a spear, pinned him one, two, three, and won the match. Um, you know, that the, the official match was ten seconds, but the whole but the segment overall wasn't that bad, honestly. Uh, and then we followed it up with what I believe to be the match of the night. Seth Rollins versus AJ Styles for the Universal Championship went just 15 seconds shy of, of a full 20 minutes. And it was the match that we expected it to be, but I wished it could have gone a little longer. I, I wanted so much more from these two because, you know, they the, they are the two best in WWE right now. You know, no, no one can argue that. And... And one of the things I actually noticed before the match started was that Seth Rollins, like, you know, like in since he won the Universal title at WrestleMania, he'd been having a, a Velcro strap on the on the belt. This time he actually had the actual fast the snaps, the fastened buttons on the belt, which I even tweeted out, what is the what is the deal with the with the Velcro straps on a lot of the, the championship belts lately? I don't I don't get it. <sighs> well, whatever. But um <sighs> It was an exciting match, and there, when and there was a point where it actually did, I did think, I legitimately thought AJ Styles was going to win when he uh, countered uh, Seth. I think Seth was, he countered him doing the 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 curb stomp, and he got him with the Styles Clash, um, and he it he was it was like just uh, a fraction of a second from a three count, and I know I was not the only one watching in that arena or around the world. That thought AJ Styles was actually going to get it right there. But Seth Rollins retained. It was a great match. And I'm happy that I got to experience that match. Because it was awesome. And then we followed that up with Kofi Kingston and Kevin Owens. But before that match could start. We had uh, Lucha House Party show up. Making us think that there was going to be a six man tag match. But Lars Sullivan came out and fucked them up. So. And I even. You know, and a lot, everyone pretty much agreed on Twitter. That you know they, they needed something to. You know. Let the, let the fans catch catch their breath and go to the bathroom, get a drink or something. Uh, but then, yeah, we got to Kofi and Kevin Owens, and I'm honestly surprised that I was not into this match as much as I thought I would be. But not to say that it was a bad match, it's just it didn't deliver like I thought it was going to. And it went just it went a little over 14 minutes. It was a good match, it just it didn't, it didn't have that fire like I thought it would. But Kofi retained, which you know we all expected was going to happen. But 
And then we close the show with the Money in the Bank ladder match. And <laughs> oh, Twitter went insane for this one. Yeah. Because earlier in the night, uh, we saw Braun Strowman that said he was banned from the arena. And Sami Zayn was was afraid that Baron Corbin, not Baron Corbin, that Braun Strowman was going to come out and do come and do something to him. And then we saw Sami Zayn hanging upside down, unconscious in the in the backstage area. And Triple H kicked Braun out of the arena. So then it was only uh, for them for this match. It was only Ali, Andrade, Baron Corbin, Drew McIntyre, and Balor, Randy Orton, and Ricochet uh, officially. Uh, and, and I say officially because, well, you know, I'll get to that in a few in a few minutes. Uh, it was a pretty fun and exciting match. This, according to what I see here on Wikipedia, it clocked in at an, at an even 19 minutes for the match. Had some pretty gnarly bumps in this one. Uh, the one to me, the one that that was the gnarliest looking was when Andrade hit Fowler uh, with the sunset flip bomb off the ladder onto another ladder. Because he just went flat right on that ladder, bounced up, and then landed on the uh, back on that ladder again. And damn, that looked like it hurt. And I think that 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 move got the loudest pop for the uh, for the for the match. Which again, damn, that spot it looked like it hurt bad. Uh, even Baron Corbin got got a few spots, good spots in there. He uh, gave a hard choke slam, I think, to Ali. Through the through the cut through this I think the German announce table I wasn't paying attention to which table, and then the fans chanted "You still suck," which just made me remember the the opening match the first match that they featured in the movie The Wrestler, uh, when the, he did the the guy, that Tommy Rotten did something to Randy the Ram, and the fans are chanting "You still suck." It reminded me a lot of that, and and I'm sure my probably my my oldest brother who has a, a very similar mind like I do probably thought might have thought of that too as well um, but yeah it was it was a very good match and uh, and then one of the other gnarly spots that Baron Corbin then is he again chokes he did a choke slam to Finn Balor onto the ladder but not just on the ladder on the edge on the side of the ladder which that hurts more than landing flat on the ladder when it's flat on the floor when you land on the the, the, the sides of it that hurts more because there's no there's no give to it. Um, but then, just as we thought, uh, Ali was gonna win the match, Brock Lesnar showed up, and he knocked him off the ladder, and he became Mr. Money in the Bank, and, <laughs> like I said, Twitter went insane, and they blew up and shit their pants and lost their minds over this, and it was just like, holy fucking shit with this one, wow, just... Wow. Uh, and I imagine the only reason why they did that is because of as you know the upcoming Super Showdown event in Saudi Arabia. That one of the matches that has been rumored up to this point uh, was going to be a, re a Universal Title rematch with Seth and Brock Lesnar. So I imagine that's exactly what why he they had him come in last minute and ca and get the Money in the Bank briefcase, um, which you know. While talking about Super Showdown, they also announced a couple of the other matches on the pay-per-view. Let me scroll through my Twitter so I can check out what WWE advertised on there. Um, sorry, scrolling through, scrolling through, scrolling through. It's a lot of gifts that I have to pass through on the WWE Twitter page. Uh, hi, yes, here we go. Uh, as we already, like I said last week, or you know, the Triple H versus Randy Orton, 
uh, Desecra versus Goldberg, and we also have for the Intercontinental Championship, Demon Finn Balor defending against Andrade, which is, you know, now that I know that that match is happening, I actually am going to watch the show to, for that match, because that's going to be an awesome match. Um, now we have Braun Strowman versus Bobby Lashley, which I'll probably use that as my bathroom break. And then, again, the 50-man Battle Royal, which, you know, we already know, you know, what the, how that's, how that's going to be. Uh, but, yeah, that's pretty, that's what happened in Money in the Bank. It was, like I said, it wasn't a, a completely terrible show, but at the same time, it's not one that I'm going to find myself rewatching on the WWE Network years from now. It's like all weekend long, up up until Money in the Bank started, I had been rewatching older WWF pay-per-views, from the In Your House pay-per-views specifically. Uh, and all of them were because of the Bret Hart matches that were featured. Like, I watched Canadian Stampede in your house, which that one I actually watched the whole pay-per-view, and it was a great pay-per-view. Uh, definitely, definitely in my top ten favorite of all time. And then I also watched, uh, what was the other one? I watched uh, In Your House December in 1995 when, uh, when Bret Hart fought British Bulldog for the WWF title. Um, and I watched... In the first In Your House from May 1995, when he fought Hakushi, which to me is an underrated classic wrestling match. Then I also watched the his World Rumble 1996 when he fought The Undertaker for the WWF Championship, which that one was a great, great match. And compared to the other matches that they've had before and after that one, I think that's actually their best match. Uh, and then also the In Your House the following month, February 1996, um, where where Brett fought Diesel in a steel cage match. And just, yeah. You know, there's a reason that people like to watch those matches because and those pay-per-views because those were great times in the WWF. Not saying that WWF is completely terrible now. It's just, you know, like I, when I talked, spoke with my brother about it yesterday, that, you know, they have the best roster that they have had in a very long time. They are just not using it the way that they should. Uh, and I understand, you know, you got three hours of Raw, two hours of SmackDown. There's only so much TV, you know, content you can cram into those hours. But they had no, they during the when they had only run Raw's War during the '90s and just those two hours, they did they didn't have that much of a problem cramming a lot of shit into those two hours. And they just seem to struggle with with Raw, especially. It's like every after every hour, they recap what happened at the, in the previous hour. And it gets fucking annoying. It really does. And it's just, why? Why? Why do we have to do that? Why do they need to do that? Oh my goodness. Oh fucking god. So <sighs> yeah, that's Money in the Bank. And like I said, it's not a pay-per-view that I'm going to find myself re-watching years from now. Um, maybe if I'm bored, I might, but no. Alright, Monday Night Raw just ended, and I'm going to be 100% honest with you all. I barely paid attention to Monday Night Raw tonight. It, it was meh to me. It was that meh to me that I barely paid attention to it. The only notable things to come out of the entire show, at least to me, was Paul Heyman promising that Brock Lesnar will announce next week on Raw if he'll cash in his Money in the Bank contract on either Kofi Kingston or Seth Rollins, and then the unveiling of the brand new 24-7 championship. And beyond those two things, I do not care for this show 
at all, honestly. Now, Raw just hasn't been that enjoyable for me for the last however many weeks since WrestleMania 35, and that really sucks, because as I've said many times before, WWE has the best roster that they've had in years, and they don't know what to do with it. Sure, once in a while we'll get a great match on Raw, like Rey Mysterio vs. Cesaro from last week, but that has become such a rarity these days that when it does happen, not enough fans experience it because the rest of what they have on the show and what they've been given us made so many of them completely tune out from the show, which is very unfortunate because then they miss out on these rare gems like Cesaro versus Mysterio. Anyway, the one thing from tonight's Monday Night Raw that everyone was talking about was the unveiling of the brand new 24-7 championship. And as WWE Hall of Famer Mick Foley explained during his announcement of the new title, it can be defended, defend, sorry, it can be defended 24 hours a day, seven days a week, anywhere, anytime, and any member of the Raw, SmackDown, 205 Live, NXT, and NXT UK rosters are eligible to fight for this championship. It's basically a hardcore title for the PG era without actually calling it the hardcore title. And of course, all over social media, people flipped out over it and hated it, uh, and the fans in the arena booed it so hard, which actually made me feel pretty bad for Mick, because he was just doing the job he was brought in to do. Not his fault. It wasn't what they were hoping it for. It's basically the same reaction to when the Universal title was first introduced at SummerSlam in 2016. Now, what are my thoughts on this? I mean, I I like the concept of the title. I'm just not a fan of the name or the actual belt design, but I know I'll get used to those as time moves forward. Uh, and we already had three brand new champions tonight. Um, first one was Titus O'Neil after so many members of the Raw and 205 roster came out, including uh, the Revival, uh, Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson, EC3, Drake Maverick, um, uh, Eric Young, I remember seeing out there, and No Way Jose, and a couple of other people, and then Titus O'Neil, because the way it started that Mick Foley, he laid out the belt in the middle of the ring, and whoever grabbed it first and held it over their heads, they were going to be the brand new champion, and it was Titus O'Neil who did that. And then as Titus was going up the ramp celebrating, Robert Roode came out and pinned him, and he was the brand new champion. And then, of course, everybody out there, they chased him all over the arena, and um, trying to hide several times. And then after all that went down, Roode bumped into R-Truth in the parking lot, and R-Truth you know, offered to hide him in the trunk of his rental car. And... Um, and then when all the mob came out there, R-Truth was like, oh, he went that way, he went that way. And then that sent all of them down that way. And, <clears throat> sorry. And, uh, and then Truth let Rude out of the trunk. And then when he was going to offer R Robert Rude uh, to an escape you know, vehicle out of the arena, opens up the passenger side and it's a referee that pops out. And then Rude is like, what the hell is this? And then... Truth rolls him up, or first he bumps his head on the car, and then rolls him up for the pin, and R-Truth became the third 24-7 champion within the first hour of the title's existence. Wow. I mean, it, it'll definitely be interesting to see where this progresses in the coming weeks. 
especially what they're going to do on SmackDown Live. Uh, see what's going to go on with that. And, you know, like I said, I, I like the concept of the title because, I mean, I knew if, if they were if they were even going to bring back the hardcore title, it wasn't going to be exactly like it was. You know, because the, the 24 out the 24-7... Uh, rule for the hardcore title back in the year 2000 up until 2002. Um, that was actually one of my favorite parts of the the history of the hardcore title. I mean, yeah, they had a lot of great matches before that rule came up, um, but that was one of my favorite parts of that. And you know, it had some of the funniest moments on Raw and SmackDown, and even Sunday Night Heat uh, for a little while. And I figured that's that's the route that they're going to go with this 24/7 championship moving forward. You know, it's just, again, just the name is stupid, and then the, the, the actual look of it, it's, it's like there was, there's no thought put into the design of this championship, and a lot of the main roster championships, they haven't had much thought put into them, you know, I mean, I mean, what what happened to, to the great belts that, that Reg Parks made for, for WWE way back in the in the day, you know, he, he, he created some of the best championship belts that WWE ever had, and now their belts are just, I mean, the Universal, the World, and then the Raw and SmackDown Women's Championships, they're all the same design, just different colors, and that is just so lazy. I mean, the Universal title looks just like the WWE title, except WWE title is black, Universal title is red, and then the SmackDown Women's Championships and the Raw Women's Championships, they both look exactly the same. Just the raw one is red, SmackDown one is blue. It's, it's lazy. I, I I miss the way the belts used to look way, way back. I know a lot of fans love the Attitude Era WWE world title, but my favorite is the one that they call the Winged Eagle belt that was first introduced in 1988. Uh, that Macho Man Randy Savage won at WrestleMania 4. And that one is my favorite WWE championship of all time. Uh, and I've been trying so hard to get a replica of that one uh, with the WWF logo, not the WWE logo. I found a good one on Amazon that I've been very hesitant because, you know, you never know when buying stuff on Amazon. I've seen some some people get ripped off, although I've never been ripped off with my purchases on Amazon. Um, but yeah, just I, I miss the championship belts looking like championship belts, you know? Not, 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 not like toys. Like the current Universal World and Women's Championships look like, and I mean even the the Raw and SmackDown Tag Team Championships and the Women's Tag Team Championships look better, uh, and the, the the Tag Team Titles for the NXT UK those those belts look hell all of the the, the NXT UK belts look much better than the main roster belts in my opinion, I mean especially the tag the the NXT UK Tag Titles those those belts are beautiful. And actually, I think that of the current WWE and NXT and NXT UK uh, belt designs, those those are might be my favorite championship belt designs, honestly. Uh, and whoever designed those belts, they should have them redesign the main roster belts because the main roster belts just again such a lazy design. You know, like when they when they introduced the new SmackDown tag titles, it was it's literally the same. Belts that the tag titles had been since 2010. Just it was a silver plate with blue strap, and then they changed the the black strap and copper plates to red plates, red red leather with with the silver plates for Raw. And again, it's just it's lazy. 
Uh, 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 like the concept of the, of the 24-7 title, I'm a fan of. I just wish they could have designed a better belt. I mean, they're a multi-billion dollar corporation. They could afford some a much better belt design than that. I mean, come on. I mean, Reg Park, he, 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 he's not busy, as far as I know. Uh, hell, I don't even know if he's still alive. Let me look that up. Uh, Reg Park. <laughs> All right. Let me just... All right, see a lot of links for King of the Belts on here. <laughs> All right, let me see. Let me look for the most recent uh, uh, posting about him. Well, yeah, nothing on here that tells me if he's still if he's still alive or not. But yeah. If he is still alive, I wish WWE would, you know, call him up and say, "Hey, can you design some belts for us? Because we we need the help." Seriously, come on. I know nobody, nobody, no one from WWE is listening to this, but get some better looking belts. Seriously. All right, SmackDown Live concluded a little while ago, and Miz and Mrs. is on. I'll try not to get too distracted by it while I'm recording the segment of the podcast. And tonight we saw the return of Big E, who had been out with a knee injury that he had suffered on the SmackDown after WrestleMania 35. Now he hasn't been cleared to wrestle yet, but at least as of now, it seems that he'll be able to appear on the show from time to time doing promos, accompanying Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods for their matches. Um, and I'm happy to see Big E back because. Because, you know, he's just so damn entertaining. He really is. Uh, and as Woods pointed out during the their promo on the opening of SmackDown, he has been killing it on Twitter. He really has. Seriously, you should go onto Twitter and check out some of his recent tweets. And particularly with his apparent infatuation with Becky Lynch's mom. Which, really can't blame him for that. Ooh, she, she is lovely. <clears throat> anyway, Kofi Kingston was scheduled for a match with Sami Zayn, and Big E was apparently taken out by Kevin Owens before he could accompany Kofi to the ring. And the match was itself was very good, which of course you know is to be expected considering who was in the match. You know, Kofi won, and Paul Heyman came out with the Money in the Bank briefcase, teasing a potential cash in, uh, which was pretty exciting, exciting for those couple of seconds. But then, out of nowhere. Dolph Ziggler showed up, returning to SmackDown for the first time, or returning to WWE television for the first time since the Royal Rumble, being a surprise entrant there and hasn't done anything since then. He showed up and attacked Kofi Kingston, beating the absolute shit out of him all over the ring, outside the ring, putting a steel chair over his head and ramming it into the announce table and placing that same chair on his face and then stomping on it and beating them up some more. And I know that made my friend Spaz Phoenix happy because he does not like Kofi Kingston at all. Seriously, if you follow him on Twitter, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Anyway, uh, Ziggler came out later on to explain his actions. And basically, it was his explanation was that what has happened for Kofi Kingston since the Elimination Chamber should have been for him instead. 
that the fans love and respect that Kofi has uh, been given should be for him instead. That him winning the WWE Championship at WrestleMania should have been him instead. And then he would then go on to make the challenge for the WWE Championship at Super Showdown. Which, of course, we know Kofi is going to accept. But will Dolph be able to dethrone him in Saudi Arabia? Probably not. But I guess we'll just have to wait and find out on June 7th. Only on the WWE Network. <laughs> Uh, we also had some segments with R-Truth and the 24-7 title, having Truth uh, wear a blonde wig, thinking no one will recognize him by just that alone, which was pretty funny, and the wig did make him look like What's-Her-Face from Game of Thrones. And he said that he was there to seek help from Carmella, his old mixed match challenge partner, uh, to help him hide from everyone who's trying to get him and get the title. He would eventually escape out of the arena after, uh, you know, Carmella put some makeup on him and changed his clothing, thinking it would help. And then he accompanied her for her match that she was going to have. Which, I mean, if you, you know, if he's trying to, if you're trying to hide from people trying to come after you for a championship, you don't wear the championship out to the ring on television for everyone to see. Uh, but yeah, he eventually did escape out of the arena, still champion with Carmella. Uh, and honestly, like. I'm interested to see where they're going to go with this title, you know, coming in, in the coming weeks, especially. Because as of right now, it's they're, it's appearing and apparent to me that R-Truth is basically going to be the Crash Holly of this new 24-7 championship, which I absolutely love. And again, I'm looking forward to seeing more of these shenanigans next week and in the weeks to come. Uh, and then they also aired a video package for the Triple H versus Randy Orton match for Super Showdown, chronicling their history from the Evolution days to WrestleMania 25, and so on. Essentially trying to make this match a much bigger deal, like they did for Triple H and Undertaker at last year's show in Australia. I mean, I didn't mind it, you know, I just didn't find it necessary, because we know it's not going to be anywhere near the quality of the matches that they had from 2004 to 2009. It was a nice video package, so I will say that. Overall, I mean, I enjoyed SmackDown a little more than I enjoyed Raw, but still, it was just kind of there. I mean, SmackDown is usually the much better show, and this week, it's it's basically a better show by default, in my opinion, but... I don't know, just WWE, as I've said so many times before, it's just... Uh, just not what they used to be, and it's just so sad, because I've been a fan my entire life for over 30 years now, I'm going to be 33 this year, and just, I've seen the highs, I've seen the lows, and I've stuck around for all of that, and just, I don't know how much longer I can put up with it, honestly, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, just exactly, like, jump ship and abandon WWE, but it's just... How much longer are they going to make us put up with this bullshit? Seriously. Why? Why does WWE... I mean, and I've been... Because I've been watching the Monday Night Raw... Or not Monday Night Raw, Monday Night War... D WWE Network show over the last couple of days. And just and they've been replaying that little promo from Vince McMahon where he says... We at the WWF believe that you, audience, are frankly tired of having your intelligence insulted. And here we are... Almost 22 years later from that promo, and we, the WWF fans, 
are tired of having our intelligence insulted. And we are looking for a new change to professional wrestling. <sighs> well, which brings me to... As we already know, All Elite Wrestling officially announced their TV deal with TNT at the Warner Media upfront last week. Well, apparently going around Twitter and Instagram is that their rumored premiere date will be on Tuesday, October 1st. Which makes sense to me that it would premiere on that date, if true, because that's typically around the time new shows would be premiering on these major networks. Uh, and as I've talked about on previous podcasts, I am very, very excited to see what AEW will be giving us on TNT. Which, I, if I remember correctly from some of the dirt sheet reports over the several copyrights that were filed last year by Cody, the Bucks, and everyone involved in the corporate aspect of AEW, that it's going to be that it, it will be called uh, Tuesday Night Dynamite. Uh, I mean, it's not the worst name for a wrestling show, but. You know, we'll see, you know, when they make the official announcement of their premiere date and what exactly the actual name of the show is going to be. You know, and on paper, you know, a All Elite Wrestling presents Tuesday Night Dynamite. Yeah, not the worst name for a wrestling show. And of course, AEW will have their premiere pay-per-view event this weekend, which is Double or Nothing, live from the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. On Saturday, May 25th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, and you could technically say that All In was their was the first show, but Double or Nothing will be the first show officially under the AEW banner. And the card is stacked from top to bottom. At least to me, it is. I'm going to read to you what we have on the card right now. Uh, Kip Sabian versus Sammy Guevara, the 21-man Casino Battle Royale. Uh, Cody versus Dustin, Hangman Page versus Pac, which as of right now they said it's cancelled because of some stuff that's been going on on the dirt sheets, but we shall see what's going to happen with that. Uh, SoCal Uncensored versus Tima, uh, T-Hawk, and El Lindeman. Team Best Friends versus Angelico and Jack Evans. Dr. Britt Baker versus Kylie Ray and Nyla Rose. Uh, Aja Kong, Yuka Sakazaki. Emi Sakura versus Hikaru, Hikaru Shida, Riho, and Ryo Mizanuma. I'm sure I butchered the hell out of those Japanese names. And Kenny Omega versus Chris Jericho and the Young Bucks versus the Lucha Brothers for the AAA World Tag Team Championship. Uh, and it is fixing to be one of the best wrestling shows of 2019 so far. And as we found out this week from the newest episode of Road to Double or Nothing, on YouTube, uh, we found out that the winners of the Casino Battle Royale and of Jericho vs. Omega, they will face off somewhere down the line to crown the first ever AEW World Heavyweight Champion. And that's going to be exciting for sure. And I encourage any and all wrestling fans who are listening to this to order Double or Nothing on BR Live, Bleach Report Live, on the Fight TV app, and of course on Pay-Per-View. Uh, or at least check out the free buy-in pre-show that's also going to be airing on BR Live and on the official All Elite Wrestling YouTube channel at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, let's enjoy professional wrestling again, alright? Because 
according to also the Busted Open Radio from last week that I got to listen to with Chris Jericho, this is the new wrestling war, or is shaping up to be the new wrestling war. Will it be the new Monday Night War? I'm not sure. But according to Chris Jericho, this is the new wrestling war. Uh, that this will be the new WCW versus WWF. Now we did kind of see that with TNA and WWE uh, from like early 2010s to now. Although in recent years they've developed a good working relationship with WWE. So I mean, we saw how that war, that quote unquote air quotes war, went down. Um, but AEW is looking to be a true alternative. To WWE and uh, the what's his face uh, the Khan dude let me look up his name again uh, Tony Khan sorry that he did an interview for the All Elite Wrestling YouTube channel as well and he talked about in openly about how this he'd been wanting to do this for quite some time and had been even trying to make you know the TV deals before he even had All Elite Wrestling officially you know set up so. Yeah, he he is a big wrestling fan. He loves professional wrestling, and he, and he is happy to be part of the the birth of all elite wrestling and the hopefully the rebirth of the wrestling war. Um, will they be able to be a true competition, true challenger to the WWE? As of right now, I I don't know, but do I hope that they will be a true challenge and competition for WWE? Hell the fuck yeah. Again, I, I lived through the Monday Night War and the Attitude Era. I lived through the highs and the lows of WWF versus WCW. And I miss those times because um, even Eric Bischoff said, you know, com comp competition creates controversy, controversy creates cash. And that's what we need. We need the competition, the controversy. We so desperately need that right now. <laughs> So Endgame has officially beaten Avatar, domestic box office gross of all time. Now, they haven't reached the worldwide gross just yet as of this recording. Uh, I'm recording this at 12.39 a.m. Uh, Sunday going into Monday morning. Uh, but yes, Avengers Endgame has officially become the highest grossing domestic box office movie of all time. With, as of right now... Uh, box domestic gross of seven hundred seventy million eight hundred and five thousand and eight hundred and seventy dollars, whereas Avatar's domestic lifetime gross is seven hundred sixty million five hundred seven thousand six hundred twenty-five dollars, which I mean we all kind of expected that this was going to come up, because uh, that's all we've been seeing all over Twitter and the comic book blogger websites, everyone basically counting down to when Endgame is going to dethrone Avatar as the highest grossing film of all time. Um, they're getting closer to it, they, they, they are, but as of right now, they are only the top domestic grossing film of all time. Avatar still holds the worldwide crown, and, but Endgame is inching closer and closer, as now they are uh, let me see. As of right, as of the, again, this recording, Avatar still sits at 
2,787,965,087. And end, Avengers Endgame, their worldwide gross as of right now is 2,614,805,870. Uh, so there's still that little bitty difference. You know, just just less, just less, a little less than 200 million away from topping the all-time gross. But are they going to make that? I don't know. Uh, do I want to see it happen? Part of me does, because it'll be amazing that the highest grossing film of all time is a comic book movie. And But then at the same time, it's like, I mean... A lot of the MCU fans that I've interacted with on social media over the last few years, especially in recent months, are, can be very obnoxious. And they love to tout those box office numbers for why their films are superior to DC and other non-MCU films. And just, I mean, yeah, they can brag about how much money the movie's made. But, you know, like I always say, art is subjective. Movies are works of art. And everyone's going to feel differently about certain movies. Like, like Captain Marvel has grossed over a billion dollars. And I haven't met that many people who can say that they genuinely love the movie. I mean, my brother and I, we liked it. You know, uh, we don't completely understand why people hated it so much or are hating on it so much. You know, I mean, I did say I, I wouldn't put it in my top 10, but it's in my top 15 of the MCU because I'd, I definitely enjoyed it more than I enjoyed Iron Man 2 and Ant-Man and the Wasp uh, and the first Thor film. I, I definitely enjoyed it more than those. And uh, I, don't know, I have to review my MCU list that I did last December. Um, yeah, you know, Captain Marvel would be in my top 15, not my top 10. Whereas Avenger Endgame is in my top 5. I just don't know where I in my top 5 I would place it. Uh, but it's there. And, and honestly, yeah, they they have they deserve and have earned the high gross that they've, they've gotten in the last four, almost five weeks. No, almost four weeks, sorry, that they've been in theaters. Uh, although, John Wick Chapter 3 did dethrone them from the number one spot, and, you know, right now, for the, you know, box office gross currently, and which, you know, if anyone was going to do it, it was going to be John Wick th Chapter 3, uh, Parabellum, which I haven't seen it yet, uh, but I want to very badly, and I, I'm going to try to do that uh, either sometime this weekend or maybe next weekend. With I can do it as a double feature with Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Um, uh, but who knows? We'll see. Um, but yeah, Endgame is the highest domestic grossing film of all time. Um... But will they get to the highest worldwide box office gross? Only time will tell. Hey, by the time this episode goes up on Friday, uh, who knows, maybe they will have topped the worldwide gross by then, and this segment on the podcast will be out of date. <laughs> but we shall see. You know, time will tell. And speaking of John Wick, just days after John Wick Chapter 3 dethroned Avengers Endgame from the number one box office spot, we have been officially confirmed the date of a John Wick Chapter 4, which will be coming in May 21st, 2021, which is just the fact that just again, just days after it hit the number one spot in the box office, it's already they already announced the release date of its sequel. That's 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 amazing. 
know, and like I and like I said a little while ago, just uh, if any movie was gonna dethrone Avengers Endgame from the top five, it was gonna be John Wick Chapter Three, and here we are already with Chapter Four getting a release date of May twenty first, twenty twenty one. That that is amazing, and. And apparently there was also they we're all gonna get a spin-off film uh, of the the Continental, which that's gonna be awesome as well. Um just Keanu Reeves is he's he's found a career resurgence with the John Wick films. And, and not that his career has been bad. I mean, we all remember him from Bill and Ted and then you know, he was had a few good few movies here and there. He had Parenthood by which I really loved, and he had a point break. That that was Advocate, which was another great one, and then he became a superstar action hero with the Matrix films. Which I don't care what other people say, Matrix Reloaded was awesome. Matrix Revolutions was good. I'm not gonna say it's as great as the first one, but you know, basically, you want to rank them and how how good they are. It's Matrix, Matrix Reloaded, Matrix Revolutions. Now, Revolutions doesn't. I can understand why people didn't like it, but it didn't deserve the level of hate that it does get. To me, it's kind of like Godfather Part Three. Definitely not as good as the first two, but it doesn't deserve the hate that it gets. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's um, again, it's it's just it's just it's for me, it's it's just amazing to realize that, you know, because how often does that happen with a movie that just a few days after its release they already announced the sequel, um, and I mean the Shazam sequel didn't get an official greenlit announcement until. A, about three weeks after it was released in theaters, so. Um, I mean, I'm sure they were already planning on it because of all the great reviews Shazam got, uh, but they didn't make an official announcement until weeks later. Whereas John Wick literally just came out a week ago and already they announced the, the, the date for when the next movie's coming out. Um, I, 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 can't, I honestly can't recall another movie where that's happened for, or another film franchise that that's happened for. You know, but hey, that's great news for Keanu Reeves. He's he's really earned his spot, you know, as a Hollywood action star with these John Wick films, and and he's also going to be in Toy Story Four, which I honestly did not find out until I saw the new trailer that came out this week. Um, it's going to be like was it Captain Kaboom or some shit like that? Basically, like an evil Knievel, you know, action figure type of character, which from the trailer. I'm, I think he's going to be my favorite part of it. Just like in Toy Story 3, Michael Keaton as the Ken doll was my favorite thing for that one. Um, um, I mean, and while I'm on the subject of Toy Story 4, it's... I mean, I was excited for it at first, but then, like, some of the trailers they've that they've had, like... I don't know, just they haven't done anything to really suck me into it. Um, and also because I kind of feel like, you know, why, why are they making it a Toy Story 4? Because... Toy Story 3 was just was just the, the perfect ending to that story. And just, I don't know. I'm still going to go see it because I love the Toy Story movies. Well, I love the first one. love the second one. freaking love the third one. It's in my top... It's actually in my top 10 favorite films of all time. I love it that much. Uh, but, yeah. I will see Toy Story 4. And I'm just hopeful that with everything I've heard about it so far, with all the reports of uh, Tim Allen and Tom Hanks that they were so emotional when they finished finished recording their final lines for this for the film. You know, I'm I'm hoping that that means it's gonna be great. You know, but uh, we shall see. Yeah, I'm sorry that I keep saying we shall see. I guess I guess that's my catchphrase for for this podcast. We shall see. 
Uh, maybe I can get that on a t-shirt eventually. <sighs> well, but yeah, John Wick Chapter 4, May 21st, 2021. Alright, more talk about Robert Pattinson as Batman. Battinson, as the hashtag that's been going on social media. From the website Hollywood Life, uh, he was at the Cannes Film Festival promoting a new movie that he's uh, supposed to be... I believe it was with uh, Willem Dafoe and a couple other awesome actors. The headline reads, and from HollywoodLife.com, Robert Pattinson, why he's ready to take on the Batman role after years of shunning celebrity. And here's the quote from his one of his reps on here. It says, he wants to be an artist first in people's eyes. And now that he is older and done so many independent parts, he is at a place where he can manage things better. Rob is really looking forward to taking on the Batman role. He's actually looking forward more to being Bruce Wayne, but he is ready for this role and really hopes he doesn't lose out on it. He's looking forward to bulking up and getting into amazing shape for the part as well. Uh, let me see, there's another one right here. Uh, it says, you know, our source from the website. The last month or so, he has been reassured that he is the guy, but no contract has been signed. Uh, but this time around, if all things fall into place, like they seem to be doing, he is ready for all that comes with such a major role. He is looking forward to making this the start of the next stage in his acting career. And as I've said before, uh, I am a fan of Robert Pattinson outside of the Twilight movies, which he himself has even said that he hates. Because um, you know, he, like I, and like I said on the previous podcast, um, he is a much better actor than the Twilight films showed, and people should definitely try to seek out other films that he has done. But like I said, he's, you know, he's, you know, if he was good enough for he, to be cast as a, as a, one of the lead actors in Christopher Nolan's next film, he has to be something special, because Christopher Nolan doesn't just pick anybody for his movies. And and also this kind of goes with what I said last time, well, you know, the, that it's not a lock that Robert Pattinson is Batman yet. Um, but any day now, we should be getting that official announcement. Because um, we have a lot of rumors and innuendo going around all over social media and the interwebs. And and just, you know, if, if, he, he, if he wants to be the Batman, then let him be the Batman. And, and he, he can, if he bulks up enough, he can do it. I mean, because y'all remember of Christian Bale, he was a damn—he was damn near skin and bones when he did The Machinist, and then did Batman Begins right after, and he put on like like thirty something pounds of muscle on him, and even and even not that he even he gained so much weight that he was actually chubby and had to lose that lose a little weight before they can begin filming. Um, so people saying that Robin Pattinson doesn't have that look. Well, I mean, Michael Keaton didn't, you know, wasn't exactly Mr. Olympia when he got cast as Batman. So, just, you know, again, like, check him out in movies besides Twilight. And give him, give him a chance. You know, people, we don't, fans don't, don't know how to learn. So just wait and see and give them a fair chance. Because everyone's so quick to jump on the hate, wait, the hate bandwagon. <sighs> fucking fandoms. Speaking of Batman, 
kind of, uh, from a person that I follow on Twitter who says he has a source within Warner Brothers. Uh, goes by the name of Zod Writer. You check him out. He's a pretty cool guy. That, according to him, says from his source, new tip from source. This is directly from his Twitter feed. He says, allegedly a Justice League extended edition is heading exclusively to HBO in January 2020. And his the rest of his tweet, he says, this makes me nervous because an extended edition isn't the same as a director's cut. At RT Snydercut, which you guys should definitely check them out. Uh, yeah. And then another one says, new tip from source, I asked for a runtime of Justice League HBO Extended Edition, and she said it's 2 hours and 15 minutes, including credits. Um, uh, just, if this is true, you know, if we are to believe that there's apparently a extended cut that we're going to get on HBO next year, which, I mean, I'm curious to see it, you know, because I've, I've done quite a few podcasts. Uh, as part of the hashtag release the Snyder Cut movement over the last, let me see, since September, when I started talking about when I ran down the Man of Steels, Batman vs. Superman, Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman, Justice League, and then a few others that came along after, I'm very much a supporter of the Snyder Cut movement. And uh, it's just, if we do get that, like, what will we get? Would it be more scenes from the Joss Whedon reshoots? Will it be more Zack Snyder scenes inserted into it? Um, from one of the other tweets that he put out, I don't have that one screenshot and pull, pulled up for me at the moment. He did say that <clears throat> that it would be more Zack Snyder scenes inserted into the existing Justice League film that would not disrupt the story that they put out there. Yeah. Which, I mean... If that's the case, then, I mean, again, I'm curious to see it. I wouldn't mind seeing it, but, of course, I'm, I would very much prefer the three-and-a-half-hour true Zack Snyder director's cut of Justice League, just like many of us in the community want to see. And, and whether or not it'll be a much better film is subjective, you know, because, like I always say, films, you know, art is subjective, film is art. You like what you like, I like what I like, you hate what you hate, I hate what I hate, you know? But, you know, I've, I've, I have yet to be disappointed by Zack Snyder's movies. Uh, and I don't count Justice League because it wasn't 100% his film. Uh, but I loved Dawn of the Dead. I loved 300. I loved Watchmen. I loved Legends of the Guardians the Isles of Galvul. I loved Man of Steel. And I loved Batman vs. Superman. And again, I haven't seen Sucker Punch yet. But I'm sure when I do see it, I'm sure I'll like that one as well. You know, because it's, it's Zack Snyder. <laughs> he, he has yet to disappoint me. Uh, but anyways, um, another tip coming from Zod Rider, you know, from the same thread talking about all this stuff, he says, Allegedly, Warner Brothers is having cold feet about Matt Reeves' Batman script. Uh, they also are second-guessing recasting Ben Affleck. Uh, his, his source claims there is a secret campaign within the studio to take another look at Ben Affleck's original proposal of the script, which would have been... Batman vs. Deathstroke, if you got to see the little teaser that Ben shared two years ago. Um, another one, uh, he says, tinfoil tip from source. You know, basically, like, you know, tinfoil conspiracy theory. So, allegedly, Ben was going to have a cameo as older Batman in this movie. It's going to be an uncredited role, much like his role in Suicide Squad. He said it's a little over 50% thought that Affleck also takes over as director from Reeves. The studio politics 
rearing its ugly head again. And again, tinfoil hat, conspiracy theories, who knows what that's all going to be. Now, but, assuming all that is true, then, hey, awesome. I love Ben Affleck as Batman. I would love to see more of that. You know, but also, like I said, I would love to see Robert Pattinson as Batman. You know, either way, I just want to know what the fuck is going on with the Batman movie, because Matt Reeves has been working on this script for, like, two and a half years at this point. Probably less than that. I'm not, I might be wrong. Could be longer than that. Who knows? Because they officially announced him as the director of the Batman, I think, in January or February of 2017. Here we are, May 2019, and we still have no idea what he's doing. I mean, we, we're hearing the rumors that, yeah, it's going to be in the 90s with a younger Batman, and it's going to be a rogues gallery of up to six villains, including Penguin and Catwoman. I don't know. We, it's just, and then with all the all the conflicting rumors of Justice League, it's, uh, it's it's. Uh, but while talking about Justice League, I want to conclude with this. Project Comic-Con, the newest endeavor of the Release the Snyder Cut movement, and I'm going to pull up the link for that so I can accurately read the information for you, because I don't want to give incorrect information on this, because this is, you know, a good cause, in my opinion, at least. And, I mean, here we go, pull that up for you. It's Project Comic-Con SDCC19 Release the Snyder Cut, and as follows, here it is. Uh, hashtag release the Snyder Cut, Project Comic-Con. The time has come now, sorry, the time has now come to make an ultimate statement to Warner Brothers and AT&T of our firm and unyielding desire for the release of the full and complete Zack Snyder Cut of Justice League. Over the course of the past year and a half, the hashtag release the Snyder Cut movement has undertaken in a variety of campaigns so as to garner the attention of the of those in a sufficient position of power and influence to satisfy our demand. The various members of our movement, from all walks of life, all races and creeds, all religions and political persuasions, have partaken in such efforts as hashtag trends, reply bombing, phone calls, and letters. And little by little, we have gained the satisfaction of knowing that, at the very least, they are aware of our cause. They know of our existence. The question to them is whether or not our desire will fade away in time. Well, the time has come to make a big, bold declaration to Warner Brothers and all who can see and hear that we are not going away. We are not fading. We are growing. And as such, we need to prove it to them by a big campaign that is impossible to ignore, shrug off, or otherwise dismiss. Some months ago, a man with a plan pitched a crowdfund campaign for an airworn banner with the hashtag release Snyder Cut hashtag to be flown over Warner Brothers Studios. As many of you may recall, it was a major success in boosting morale for our movement, particularly as Zack Snyder himself took notice of it. We need to do it again and more. We need a massive advertising assault that will inform both Warner Brothers and anyone present of the power and presence of cause, of our cause. And we need to do it at San Diego Comic-Con. Now, this crowdfunding campaign is only part of a vast organized... <coughs> sorry a vast organized effort to fill the 2019 Comic-Con with advertising for our cause. We will have boots on the ground at and around the convention doing a wide variety of activities. And here are the activities. 
carrying handheld hashtag elite society cut signs throughout the convention center. There may or may not be cosplayers doing this. Handing out educational flyers about the Cytica and where to support our cause, distributing swag to interested convention goers, and more. The above part of Project Comic Con will be self-funded by the generously generosity rather of various passionate and motivated members. Nonetheless, there are some things that are simply too massive, too ambitious, and yes, too expensive to finance on our own. And that, Spartans, is where you come in. And at different levels, I'm going to read them off to you. Level 1. The central necessary element of this part of Project Comic-Con involves t taking Charlie's successful airborne banner flight even further. A two-hour flight of a WB released the Snyder Cut of Justice League airborne banner from noon to 2 p.m. on the day before Warner Brothers presents in Hall H of the convention. Those two hours will be spent flying around and around and around the convention center. It will not be missed by the noon crowd of, at the conventions, the general public in that part of San Diego, or the media itself. It will not be ignored. As provided by our contacts and the Airborne Banner Company of Choice, the cost of such a two-hour effort is $1,070. Now, keep in mind the hashtag Cut movement has a specific tradition in all of our fundraising endeavors. That half of the money raised will always go to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, AFSP which I have donated to quite a few times, by the way, since then. <laughs> this is a cause very near and dear to our hearts, and we have no intention of compromising on this. To this end, we would not consider this crowdfund a success if we do not raise at least 2140 You will notice that we wrote at least. We would like to encourage potential contributors to go ahead and fund as much as they'd be willing and capable. Why do you ask? Well, there are many secondary bold advertising concepts that will update you on the closer they come to realization. Once level one is achieved, we will unlock level two. Well, everyone, we did it. We have successfully funded a two-hour airborne banner to fly over Comic-Con, and we did it in a single day. That's amazing, guys. It really is. Now we shoot for something every bit as prominent, but a bit more expensive. We are now going to finance a billboard in San Diego, as close to Comic-Con as possible so that folks on the route will, be, will behold it. Uh, it will be designed by Ramesh De Silva, who is a great designer, by the way. You should definitely check out his work. The best quote for San Diego Comic-Con billboard, not San Diego comic the, let me start again. The best quote for a San Diego billboard we've been able to pinpoint would cost 1960 It would be nicely situated for people driving into San Diego, doubling, doubling to cover our contribution to the AF. SP, we will now need to raise an additional 3920 Thus, Spartans, if we want to billboard, our current grand total raised would need to be 660 This is completely doable as yourselves have proven. We raised 2100 in a day. We can surely raise two or three times that much in a couple of months, and who knows, if we raise it soon enough, there might be, uh, there, there might even be a level 3. And here we are with level 3. Level 3. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it again. Within the spans of a few weeks, we successfully funded a billboard. Give yourselves a great big pat on the back. Pat myself on the back. Thanks to you, our presence in San Diego will be bigger than ever. Now for something more. Something that will scream that our movement is to be taken seriously. On July 19th, The Hollywood Reporter, the biggest and most prominent of the trade magazines for the entertainment industry, will come out with a double-length issue devoted to San Diego Comic-Con. 
July, July 13th is the deadline to secure an, an advertisement in that issue, and we intend to meet it. We intend to place an ad for release of Snyder Cut in the SDCC special issue of The Hollywood Reporter. As always, of course, it will be designed by Ramesh Da Silva. And again, seriously, you guys really should check out his work on Twitter, on Vero, if you're on Vero. Uh, just Google search Ramesh Da Silva, R-A-M-E-S-H-D-E-S-I-L-V-A. You will not regret it. He makes amazing work. So how much will this cost? Well, the Spartans is up to you. Yes, we are. Uh, here are the rates based on exactly what kind of ad you're looking for. Quarter page, black and white, 1200 Quarter page color, 1800 Half page, black and white, 2400 Half page color, 3500 Full page, black and white, 4500 Full page color, 6200 Doubling the numbers to account for our donation to AFSP. 2400 3600 4800 7000 9000 and 12400 Unlike level 1 and 2, level 3 will be open-ended. It will be up to you as to how big this ad is going to be, how prominent. Considering the amount needed to reach a full-page color ad, this will probably be the final level for the crowdfunding part of Project Comic-Con. Uh, still, m a miracle could happen once again, and we somehow managed to surpass a grand total of 18460 soon enough to allow for a level 4. Now, one more thing. Recent events have raised the question, what if Warner Brothers bites the proverbial bullet and announces their plans to release the Snyder Cut prior to Comic-Con? What happens to the money we've already raised? Well, our contingency plan, should that announcement happen, is to donate the entirety of the money to AFSP. This sends the ultimate message of the nobility of our intentions and cause. We proclaim the value of life and the things that make it worthy. The integrity of great art of course, being one of them. For now, fellow warriors for Zack Snyder, we ask for your support financially and socially. Hashtag Project Comic Con. Hashtag I stand with Zack Snyder. Hashtag A bell cannot be unrung. Hashtag Release the Snyder Cut. Whew, that was a mouthful. But yes, this is a wonderful, wonderful cause, which, again, half of the money raised will go to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, which I have donated to through the All the Gods t-shirt that I purchased. And if you're watching this on YouTube, bing, there's the picture. And so far, as this, as of this recording, I'm recording this Wednesday night going into Thursday morning. The total raise is $12,380. That is amazing. And that has been raised over the last three weeks. That's, again, that is just amazing. Uh, we, we are a giving community. We are a loving community. And there's been quite a few donations on here. And it was even, let me look through the uh, listings of donations of the donations of as small as $5, and then $10, $25, $15, $55, $30, $40, $60, $70, $80, $90, $100, $200, $300, $400, $500, $600, $700, $800, $1000, $1000, $1000, $1000, $1000, $1000, $1000, $1000, $1000, $1000, $1000, $
Now, we're doing this because, again, if you remember from previous podcasts that I talked about with the release of Snyder Cut movement, that Zack Snyder stepped down from the post-production of Justice League because his daughter, Autumn Rose, had committed suicide. So that has been an important thing for those of us in the Snyder Cut movement. And again, like I said, I donated my my you know my money purchasing the All the Gods T-shirt because one hundred percent one hundred percent of the money raised for that sh- for the purchase of that shirt went to the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention, and I was proud to have contributed to that because it is a cause that is near and dear to my heart. It really is, and I will have the links in the description to this podcast uh, wherever you're choosing to listen to it. And it will be available uh, for however long it will be up. Donate if you if you can. Share it on your social media, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Vero, anywhere that you can. Do your part in, to help with such a great cause. Because even if you don't want to see the Zack, the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League, at least donate so that it can go to a worthy cause for the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention. At least do that. Have a heart. Help save a life with that. Hashtag release the start. Oh, and we find out that Christopher Nolan's next movie is called Tenet. So that's cool. And that is it for this week's edition of the Men in Science podcast. I hope you all enjoyed listening, and, and if you didn't enjoy it, then... Well, thanks for tuning in anyway, because you're helping get my numbers up. Now, please be sure to tune in next week, because I'll be doing a special episode that was actually inspired by another podcast that I enjoy listening to, the Geek of Steel podcast, which you all should be listening to as well. And Luke, the host of the podcast, he did an episode where he talked about why he loves the character and the story and the mythology of Superman so much and why it means so much to him in his life and you know what it did for him as a human being well i'm doing something similar but i will be talking about superman just like he did and i will also be talking about bret hart now both have been great inspirations to my life and i wanted to share that love with you all i hope you will tune in for that one um and again don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Radio Public, Breaker, YouTube, wherever you prefer to listen. And again, feel free to tweet me at IronFossitude if you have any podcast ideas or any questions you'd like for me to answer on a future podcast, or if you just want to chat with me about whatever. I'm good for that as well. And as always, thank you all so much for tuning in and for subscribing. I love each and every one of you who do. I truly and genuinely do. And I hope you all enjoy your weekend. Uh, Spend it with your loved ones if you can. Have a great barbecue. Again, it's Memorial Day weekend, so have fun. This has been the Menetized Podcast. I am Julian, and I will see you next time. Bye.